Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We're in Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. And uh, like Pastor Jason said, uh, uh, he was going to be not here today. So now it's really intimidating because he is here. (laughs) No, it's not. No. Um, But yeah, no, Mark chapter 8 this morning. And so um, thankful for the opportunity to to preach. Uh, Thankful for the opportunity to do that and uh, excited about this uh, here this morning. So join us there, Mark chapter 8. And we read there this morning, or Ben did, and I appreciate Ben reading in that passage for us this morning. But it's a very unusual passage because Jesus is healing a blind man in an unusual way. It was a two-step process where we have the blind man healed, where he first applied the saliva to the man's eyes, and he saw a little bit better. And then he touched the man again, and he saw completely he was healed. And now sometimes we look in the, in the scriptures, and Jesus never healed people in the same way twice. Uh, never did it. And I think it's so it would avoid the appearance of a pattern of how his ministry went. Uh, but that's not really the point for today. That's, that's uh, maybe a whole other message. But uh, it's not always the same way every time. Um, but I think that the blind man's spir- uh, physical blindness here illustrates the spiritual blindness of the disciples. It illustrates the, the, the blindness of the leaders there, the Pharisees, as they were part of the uh, account this morning as well that was read. Because physical blindness in the, in the Bible is often, uh, uh, you know, a, an indication of spiritual blindness or it's a parallel there. Uh, but the healing of blindness is very specific to Jesus in the, Old Te- in the Bible. There's, there's not any other place in the Bible where a person uh, healed somebody else from blindness. And all the other miracles that are performed, all the other things that are there, it's Jesus who does it. And that's because in the Old Testament, the passages there are descriptive of the Messiah being the one who brings uh, uh, sight to the blind. That was a very specific thing of the Messiah. And Jesus showing himself to be that by healing physical blindness. But he heals the spiritual blindness, which is the more important need that we all have. Uh, In fact, that healing of spiritual blindness, if we were to take time today and read in Matthew chapter 11, uh, John the Baptist was there in prison. He had a little bit of um, discouragement being in prison, of course, and he sent his disciples to go and talk to Jesus and say, hey, you know, are you the one that we're supposed to be looking for or is there another? And the very first answer in, in, in Matthew chapter 11 there that Jesus gives to John the Baptist disciples is, tell John this, that the blind receive their sight. They're receiving their sight. And then he lists other miracles as well. But that is, again, because of the Old Testament reference in connection to blindness being healed by the Messiah. Jesus Christ is that one. But in a very real sense, all people are spiritually blind. And I was thinking about this in between. It's not because people don't want... Uh, People have a desire, maybe, or they think they can find some kind of spiritual insight in the world today. Do, do people not wake up, and don't, don't raise your hand if this is you, but hopefully it's not, but do people not wake up sometimes and go right to the horror scope of the newspaper? Do people not sometimes, they try to seek after things, but people will claim to have spiritual insight, 
but they do not. Only Christ can give real insight. Only Christ, only the Bible can give the spiritual healing that is needed. And blindness today, of course, is still a very real and dreadful diagnosis, of course. Because even with our modern medicine, there's, there's some things that can be done, but there's not a whole lot can still be done. And so this is no small miracle that Jesus is able to restore sight to the blind man. But in this passage here, there's not only that man's physical blindness, but there's the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. There's the spiritual blindness of the disciples. And all of those things can be healed only by Jesus Christ. And then Jesus gives a warning in this passage also about remaining in your spiritual blindness and not uh, doing that. And so we want to look today here at spiritual blindness. Let's pray first before we begin. God, we thank you for this day again. And I pray, Lord, again, that you would help us this morning as we look into your word, God, to gain the wisdom and understanding that you have for us. May your spirit speak to us today. May we be open and receptive to the word that you have for us, God. Help me with the things to say and help us to be uh, looking for you. In your name we pray. Amen. I think it's good for us to first kind of define or, or understand what the groundwork is for spiritual blindness. So we'll look at that first. What is the cause of spiritual blindness? And there's some different passages I want to turn to this morning. So get ready to go in different places. And the first thing I'd like to do is go over to the book of Romans. We'll leave our, our uh, text for this morning and go to the book of Romans. First of all, Romans chapter 5 this morning. Because the cause of spiritual blindness comes from many different areas, comes from, I've identified four here. I think other people maybe could get more out of it, more if they really wanted to or separate some of them out. But I've, I've got four here, four factors, four causes, four things. I think that all work together. I don't think they're necessarily four different types of blindness. I think they are all working together in one. But this first one would be the blindness of our sin nature. And it's found in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number 12 there, Romans 5. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then look across over to the page of verse number 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The sin nature that we have because of the fall of Adam, because of the sin in the garden, is upon all of us. And so our sin nature gives us a spiritual blindness. The first factor in that is on all people. And Romans teaches us that. And Romans here also teaches us not only does the first Adam transfer that sin nature to us, but that the second Adam, Jesus Christ, heals us from that blindness. Heals us from that blindness. But there's more. Look back to Romans chapter 1. Because the sin nature is upon us. And here's what the sin nature does when it causes the spiritual blindness. Verse number 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. And this here tells us that there is things that are being known of God that can be known of God. What is it that can be known of God? We'll look outside and we see creation. We see the way that the world works in together. We see the way inside of us, our bodies, the way that they have been designed and intricately put together. And it teaches us that there is a creator. It teaches us there's a creator. But then we also have the ability to think and to reason, do we not? 
And reason tells us that there's a first cause for everything. And the first cause for all of this that we are in is God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so our own human reason gives us evidence of God. The creation around us gives us evidence of God. But there's one more. Look over in Romans chapter 2 and beginning in verse 13. These are all things that are what is known of God is shown in them. God has showed it to them. Romans chapter 2 verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And here it is in verse 14. For when the Gentiles which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And I read all that because there is the creation, there is our reason, there is a moral law code that says, you know what, this is what is right and this is what is wrong and these are the evidences of God that he has showed unto us. But back in verse number 18, it says in the King James that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. If you have a modern version, it may say suppress. And that's what it is, an intentional suppression of the truth of God in an unsaved person intentionally ignoring it because the sin nature does not desire to do those things. The sin nature does not desire to acknowledge God. And so they suppress and they hold back the truth that is evident. And so there's the blindness of our sin nature, which causes that. But then there's the blindness of love of sin. Go to John, Gospel of John. The blindness that comes from loving sin more than anything else and loving sin remaining in it. Blindness of our sin nature, the blindness of love of sin. John 3, 16 and 17 give us wonderful promises. Sometimes we need to keep reading into verse 18 and 19 and 20. Let's begin there in verse 18. It says this, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Here it comes. That light is come into the world, and what did men do? They loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. They love their sin more than they love truth. They love their sin more than they love righteousness, and they remain in darkness. They remain in spiritual blindness. That's what the condemnation is. Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1. I'll read verse number 8 and verse number 9. This is John the writer speaking about John the Baptist telling who is the true light. In verse 8 it says, He was not that light, John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, Jesus Christ. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So the light is there, but men love darkness rather than light, and so they have the blindness of the love of sin. But then there's another type of blindness, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn there this morning, please. There's a lot of turning, I know, but we'll settle in at our text in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, because there is also the blindness of the work of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4. And Paul writes there this, But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There's an active work of Satan to try to blind the minds of those around us from the truth of the word of God. And the lies that we hear every day are the same lies which, which uh, Satan told in the garden. Did God really say that? Is he the one that really said 
those things. And so there's another layer. There's another aspect of spiritual blindness as well from the work of Satan. But then there's one more, and this is the saddest type of blindness, or this is the saddest level of blindness, and that is the blindness of rejection. Go all the way back to the Old Testament for this. Hosea, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. Tells us the blindness of rejection. Here God is speaking. And he says this, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is sour. They've committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love. Give ye the wind hath bound her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. God speaking here through the prophet Hosea uh, was telling Judah, the southern kingdom, to leave the northern kingdom alone. Those ten tribes had so chosen to reject God and to abandon the true uh, way that he said, leave them alone. They've made their choice. They've chosen to go their own way rather than my ways. Don't have any dealings with them. And that's a very sad one as well because the rejection is so intense that they do not, that they are left alone to their own devices. Go back to Romans chapter 1 really quickly. There's just three verses there because it's echoed in the New Testament as well. I'll read verse 24, verse 26, and 28. The blindness of rejection. Verse number 24, Romans chapter 1. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up. And then in verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women to change their natural use into that which is against nature. And then verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So this blindness of rejection is, is a blindness where God says, this is what you've chosen. You've chosen to reject me. You've chosen your own sin over following me. And he lets them have that choice. And he leaves them behind. That's why the warning in the Old Testament and the New Testament is so clear. And Hebrews chapter 3 repeats it, but it, in Hebrews chapter 3 it says, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear the voice of God, don't harden your hearts as in the day of provocation. Harden not your hearts. Listen and allow the Holy Spirit. And so all of these factors, I think, the blindness of our sin nature, the blindness of uh, love of sin, the blindness of the work of Satan, the blindness of rejection, all work together and combine over, John MacArthur calls it, a profound blindness in those that are unsaved, those that are apart from Christ. And the only cure, the only thing is Jesus Christ that can give the cure for spiritual blindness. And so to define all these things, first of all, we can look now and back into our text in Mark chapter 8. Go back there with me, back in our main text of Mark chapter 8, because we can see now number two, the effects of spiritual blindness, the effects of spiritual blindness. And here's what's going on. Jesus, if we had read verses 1 through 10 of Mark chapter 8, has just fed the second multitude of people, 4,000, taken up seven baskets of fragments, and he has fed them, and he has crossed over to the other side of the sea. And as soon as he gets off the ship, here come the Pharisees. They are ready for a fight. Now, Jesus is not going around looking for a fight all the time. These guys are always looking around for it. They're always trying to find a way to trip him up. They're always trying to find a way to make him say something wrong. And so as soon as he gets off the ship, 
That's what happens. Verse number 11, the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. And so the effects of spiritual blindness, first of all, we see the effects on the religious leaders themselves. And if we were to go and read the parallel passage of this in Matthew chapter 16, we'd find out that the Sadducees were there too. So the Pharisees are there, Sadducees are there from the warning. The Herodians must have been there, those that loved Herod. And they come looking for a sign from heaven. They're coming to tempt him. They don't really want a sign from heaven. They just want to come and make him trip up. Now, it's not as though Jesus hasn't already been doing miracles, right? He's been doing miracles all over. And they know about it. Not only do they know about it, if we remember in John chapter uh, 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, the thing that he told to Jesus was, we know you're a teacher come from God because no one could do these things unless he was from God. That was Nicodemus as a Pharisee. That was his testimony there in John chapter 3. So it wasn't like they didn't know that miracles were going on, and it wasn't like they weren't acknowledging it in some level. But their spiritual blindness was keeping them from seeing Jesus as the Messiah. And they said, we want to see a sign from heaven. And notice that. It's a sign from heaven. We say, well, now, wait a minute. They don't want a healing. They don't want a feeding. They want some kind of cosmological event to happen. They want the sun and the moon to change places. Or they want fire from heaven like in Elijah in, in, in 1 Kings 18. They want something big and some huge sign from heaven to come down. But the truth of the matter is, is that even if Jesus was going to do a sign from heaven in that way, you know what their next question would be? Well, prove that that was you. Prove that that was you. Because the reality is, is that when somebody doesn't want to believe, they'll find any excuse to not believe. When somebody doesn't want to believe, they'll find it. So even if Jesus had done that sign from heaven that they were talking about, their unbelief would remain. And that's why Jesus says, why do they seek, why do you seek after a sign? I will not, there will be, no sign will be given to this generation. No sign from heaven will be given to this generation. And then in verse 13, he says, it says that he left him. Jesus left them. Now, if we're not careful here, we're going to go right over that word like, well, this morning I got up and got dressed and got in my car and I left my house and came to church. That's not, that's not the type of leaving that's going on here. And it's not just either that Jesus said, ah, whatever, guys, I'm getting the boat and going back across the other side. It's not even that. When it says here that he left them, it means the blindness of their rejection was so great that he had no further dealings with them. And if you go along through the Gospel of Mark and you go along through the Gospel of Matthew after chapter 16 of Matthew and chapter 8 of Mark, you'll find that the encounters that he has are less and less. In fact, in our own text today, Jesus healed that blind man outside of the town. They brought him to him and then he let him out and healed him outside of the town. Because their rejection had gotten so deep that he let them alone. And so when he says he left them, it's a very significant phrase. Jesus left them because of their blindness, their refusal to see him. We also have some blindness in the disciples, though. Going on, look at verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. 
Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. When Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not. And having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they say, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Their spiritual blindness in some ways is like the physical blindness of the, the man that's about to be healed. They could see a little bit. They're with Jesus daily. They have a little bit of understanding. They're not fully there yet, though. They're like what it says in verse number 24 about the blind man. He looked up and said, I see men as trees. I see some things I kind of understand, but I don't know what's going on yet. And so it's a very direct parallel. They still could not see clearly the effect of their blindness. The effect of their spiritual blindness was still on them. And then we have the blindness of the man himself. And that's exactly what happens, as we've read already. Jesus comes to him and puts some saliva on his, hand, on his eyes first. And he says, I see men as trees walking about. And then he touches him again and he can see clearly. See, that's what happens a lot of times. We, we, get, a, we get a head knowledge. We have an encounter with Christ. We get a head knowledge of who he is. We have some basic understanding. People have some basic understanding and they go along thinking that that's okay. They haven't quite seen everything clearly yet. Some, that's how we come to faith, though. It's important for us to have a head knowledge of who Christ is first so that we may gain a heart knowledge of who he is. Unfortunately for the disciples, they do eventually see. Look over at verse 27 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. By the way, he asked the disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Some say one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Their blindness becomes healed. But that question is the same question that gets asked to us today as well from Jesus. Who do people say that I am? But then more importantly, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is your spiritual blindness still there? Jesus, once he had healed the blind man, had to, I think, go back and ask him again. Do you see also now as well? The blind man can physically see again. Do you see also as well? Because they didn't see it in the, in the other verses. And finally this morning, number three. The warning against remaining in spiritual blindness. I'm going to add that word to the title there. The warning against remaining in spiritual blindness. Look back at verse 14. And 15 specifically, and it says, He charged them, this Jesus, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. As I mentioned earlier, when we go to the parallel account in Matthew chapter 16, the Sadducees are there amongst the people as well. So three groups of people here, three groups of leaders, the religious and political leaders of the day, and then we have the disciples as well. And Jesus says, Beware of their leaven. Beware of their leaven because it's causing them to remain in their spiritual blindness. So beware of it so that you don't remain in your spiritual blindness. So what is this leaven that Jesus is talking about? Well, the Sadducees, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in eternity. 
They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a whole lot of spiritual stuff other than God. They only accepted the first five books, what we call the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis to, to Deuteronomy, that's all. When you, when you read about them in other parts of the gospel, that's how Jesus answers their accusations and their questions. He only answers them from those books of the Bible. But they were the ones who were the practical atheists. They were the ones who also controlled the temple. So when the people would bring a sheep or, or an offering of some kind for a sacrifice, a lamb, when they would bring that offering and sacrifice, it was their job to inspect it. And you know what they would have done, right? Oh, there's a little blemish right here. You need to buy my sheep for this sacrifice because yours isn't good enough. And they were the ones, too, that were in charge of exchanging the money because whenever people came from out of Jerusalem to pay their temple tax, they couldn't pay it with the Roman coins because there was an image of Caesar on it, and that was idolatry. They had to change it into temple money. And so guess who controlled the exchange rate? Sadducees. They, were, they had access to the truth. They had encounters with Christ, and yet they used the knowledge they had to gain power within the temple, to gain personal power within the temple. And then we have the Herodians. They're there, the warning, the leaven of Herod. They loved the Greek culture. They loved Herod. They loved the king and, and, and all, of, all of his descendants there. Pastor Jason's been telling us all about their descendants in the Acts, you know. But they loved those things. But they were the pagans of the day. They had no religious affiliation at all. No religious affiliation at all. They shared their love of Greek culture and Roman rule with the Sadducees. They all kind of, that was the thing they had in common. But the encounters that they have are all about power, all about community, politics. I think there is a certain degree in some places where, and even today's standards, some social standing can be gained by going to one specific church or another, you know? Get that bumper sticker and get that window decal and stick it on the back of your car and drive around town and makes people feel good about their life, right? I've got such and such church on my car. They, they gain status. So they've got, you know, nothing wrong with the fish on the car, nothing wrong with the, you know, I love Jesus bumper sticker, but if your life isn't showing it, it's just words. They wanted social status. They wanted politics. They wanted community. Then we have the Pharisees. And their gain, their leaven, was pride and hypocrisy. They wanted people to think they were the most spiritual individuals in the whole community. They loved the praise of men. They sought ways to gain it. They took the traditions. They took the things of the Old Testament and turned it into a burden and changed what God gave into a uh, works-based religion that had no life at all. And they were full of hypocrisy. And that's what, that's what Jesus was warning the disciples about. Don't let the leaven of practical atheism, coming to church on Sunday and leaving and going out and living however you want the rest of the week, don't let the worldliness, don't let hypocrisy infect your life and keep you in your spiritual blindness. Put those things aside. And there's people, I think, still in many churches today who are just like that. People who continue to uh, show up on Sunday morning and with practical atheism, we don't live like it outside of the doors, full of worldliness and full of hypocrisy. There's other people in the church today as well, I think, that are like the disciples. They have a head knowledge. They've had an encounter with Jesus that has given them a head knowledge, but they've never really accepted Christ as Savior. They've never really got it from here to, from here, to here. I heard somebody say one time that the, the distance from heaven to hell is 14 inches. This person never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
and missed it by 14 inches. And so today, don't be like those ones. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you should go away seeing. We should go away changed because of that. And so what is the cure then? The cure is Jesus Christ. That's what cured the man's blindness. That's what cures the spiritual blindness as well. Peter was able to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah because his spiritual blindness was cured. The religious and political leaders of that day continued on because of their unbelief and their rejection. They encountered Christ, but they went away blind. And so today, the same question goes out to us. Who do you say that Jesus is? If you say that he's the Messiah, then follow him. We have to leave behind the spiritual blindness that infects us. And, and, and we believe also as well that if Christ died for our sins, that that sin that we're struggling with, if we are saved, if we are truly saved, that sin that we struggle with, Christ died for that sin too. The power of Christ over that sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to live in sin anymore. We don't have to live in the same way after salvation. But do we see it? Do we believe it? Leave the spiritual blindness behind. Come to light of Christ. Maybe today you're like those leaders. Maybe the Holy Spirit has revealed today that you've never truly been saved. Don't leave in the same condition that you came in this morning. Don't leave unsaved. Surrender to Christ and surrender the spiritual blindness. Maybe today you're like the disciples. And you've come to church many years and you've had a head knowledge of who he is, but you've never really had a heart knowledge. You've never come to Christ. Don't leave like the disciples today. Come and see Christ. Maybe you know Christ as Savior, but you have been struggling with something. And come and confess that or confess it right where you're sitting. Obey Christ because the power of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ allows us to not live on in our sin. Do business with God right now. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit right now as we stand together and sing this song. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit.